Hey, welcome to night school. I'm walking through a little patch of woods here. I wouldn't say I'm truly in the woods because it's a paved path, but there are still trees all around me. Is it still the woods if the path is paved? That's actually a really good question that I can't answer. Um, but uh, it's apparently National Dog Day, which is really nice because, you know, every day for me is Dog Day in the best possible way. But getting a little reminder that it's National Dog Day and everybody's giving their dogs a little something extra makes me especially appreciative to be out here on a nice summer evening walking my wonderful little dog who I'm so grateful for. Grateful for him and I'm grateful for my friends. I'm grateful to be able to strengthen friendships with friends new and old. You know, I'm just grateful to get along with people. I'm grateful for my neighbors, my family. And I understand it's not fun to listen to a gratitude list. It's a lot more fun probably to listen to me ramble on at one in the morning about my coworker who made garbage art out of bicycles and garbage bags. You know, maybe that's more entertaining when I talk shit, but I can't lose sight of the you know, the, the positive links in the chain. And I don't have too much more to say on that, but I just have to acknowledge that. Grateful to have the people I have, the dog I have. It is a great thing. During a time where it's easy to focus on things that aren't so great. And to think that that's even putting it... That's even putting a positive spin on what I'm talking about. Because we all know what I mean. There are so many different examples of what I mean, of things that are not so great. And if that's a positive spin from me when I'm in a good mood, you can imagine how other people are talking about these things from every side, all different directions. But it's a good opportunity. I really see this as an opportunity, the best opportunity that we've ever had in our lifetime to see what we are all about individually and together with the people we know. Because if you can strengthen your ties to people, if you can strengthen your friendships, the friendships that matter, not the circumstantial friendships, although, you know, you shouldn't disregard those or do anything to weaken them. But if you can strengthen the relationships that matter to your friends, family, to your neighbors, if you can simply be a good neighbor right now, you're doing great work. And if you're able to form new relationships that matter during a time where there's these physical and mental roadblocks, I'm impressed. I'm impressed by that. You know, I'm particularly happy that I've been able to form a very good rapport with my next door neighbors. And I think I've mentioned them on here before because I know that they are very different from me politically and socially. Not that I'm on the opposing side of the fence, but I just, from a sign that they had out, you know, a couple years ago, and from just what I know about them, talking to them and seeing them, I have a pretty good idea where they fall. You know, I don't like to make assumptions, but some people make it fairly easy. But that said, it's not like I'm on the opposite side of the fence. I just know that... I just know how divisive things are. And in having some of the views I have, or non-views for that matter, I know that if we were to sit down over dinner and dissect the world together, <laughs> there might be some problems. And fortunately, neighbors don't need to do that. Neighbors don't need to sit down together and dissect the world over dinner. Dissecting the world over dinner. But I, I'm really happy that I've been able to establish a, a good rapport with them. I feel that's extremely important right now to... For them, I mean, they've displayed to me that they are conscientious, good neighbors, and I've done my best to do that for them. I mean, they asked me if they could store my, their garbage can and recycling bin on my property. It's an area I don't use. But, you know, there's an HOA, there's a covenant where you can't have your garbage can and recycling bin visible from the street. And they're really, they're hard about that. They draw a hard line about these things. And you can imagine how I feel about these covenants 
There's some. There's an old person who drives around the neighborhood looking for people's garbage cans, and if they can glimpse them, they do something about it. They send you a letter, a warning, all kinds of things. Uh, they'll they'll do it about all kinds of things, but it is what it is. But you know, they asked if if they could store their bins on my property, and I said, yeah. And I was happy to do a favor for them, and I'm not telling the podcast this because I'm such a great person for letting my neighbors store their bins on property, a part of my property that I don't even go to. But it made me feel good to do that for them because that's the thing about favors is it feels good to give favors to people. And for me, like, I don't like necessarily receiving favors. You know, I I don't like to ask for help, but I do find that when someone needs my help and I can do something, especially if I don't even have to do anything, <laughs> you know, I think I think that's the thing is if you can do something to help somebody without even lifting a finger of your own, it's almost the best case scenario. Because I thought about that situation later where they asked me that they asked if they could store their bins on my property, and I I thought about the kind of person who would, and this person exists, who would have responded no. And I thought about how that would have gone if I had said no. Or even gone through a song and dance about why I couldn't do it, you know, or this or that. You know, that'd be even worse in some ways than just directly telling them no. But there are so many people who have that sort of prison mentality where they're afraid to do a favor for somebody. And it's strange and awkward, you know, when someone responds that way, but... You know, just something as simple as that can establish a good rapport with your neighbors. And if you ever do have a reason to, if you ever do have an issue with them, you know, when you've established that kind of rapport, it makes it easier, hopefully, to to address it when you've laid the groundwork that you're a reasonable person. And, uh... Yeah, I guess like you know, it's funny. Like I, I am, I'm very self-conscious of mentioning doing nice things for somebody, and I, I don't do that much. <laughs> you know, I don't do that much, but I do hesitate to mention it because you do end up feeling like that philanthropist who, you know, receives an award for their philanthropy. It's like you're giving yourself this award when you give a neighbor two rolls of toilet paper because their order from Target didn't come yet. You know, that award. That award that you give yourself when you let people know. And sometimes that can come back to haunt you. You know, I was in a a failing relationship some years back. And uh, my girlfriend was very politically charged at the time. It was around the time of the 2016 election. And that, of course, just created more dissonance between us. Because one person was devastated and the other person, you know, I kind of a non-reaction, really. You know, and, and when you don't have a reaction to something like that, you can easily fall into the category of, oh, you, so you support Donald Trump. And it's like, don't put me in that category. You know, don't put my lack of hysteria into that category where I'm now supporting the thing that you are so hysterical about. But I wouldn't even care if someone did think that. I wouldn't care if someone did think that. It's not how I think, but I wouldn't care if they did. But anyway, it was a situation where, you know, things were obviously falling apart and I ended up donating some money. You know, I had a decent job. I donated some money to an organization not an overtly political organization, but definitely an organization that has more support from one political party than the other, to say the least. And I really did it, you know, I was sort of lying to myself, but I I also knew what I was doing. Deep down, I knew what I was doing. And I really only did it so that I could tell my girlfriend that I had donated money to this organization, foolishly thinking that in telling her that things would be okay. That that would smooth out all that dissonance that we were both feeling. And sure enough, I did tell her. I said, oh, I donated $70 to the blah organization. And 
and again, I mean, I'm, I, I gotta make clear, like I didn't, this isn't, I didn't donate money to move on. I didn't donate money to an organization that had any overt political affiliation. But as I said, they're they're pretty much supported entirely by one party and opposed by the other. But anyway, I told her that. I told her I donated this money casually. I just slipped it in. And she didn't have it. She said, oh, well, I try to donate money to them all the time. Anytime I have extra money, I donate money to them. And just shut me down, which was the best thing she could have done. You know, it was really the best thing she could have done in response. Because, you know, I was definitely the foolish one in that situation. It was me trying to, you know, cast a love spell, you could say. I've used that example on here, like an Archie comic love potion where you cast a love spell or you give someone a love potion just wanting them to like you, but it has the opposite effect. Kind of a similar situation, not exactly. But uh, yeah, she was just not having it and was just like, oh, you donated $70. It was basically like, oh, that's cute that you did that. You got to do it all the time. And she saw through it. Even though I thought I smoothly brought it up, even though I thought it was some sort of cheap tactic that could save our rapidly deteriorating relationship, you know, it was still something that she saw right through, and I'm glad she did. I can't imagine if she had... I, I would have had so much less respect for her in the long term if she had bought that, if she had bought into my bullshit with that one. But, you know, that is a lesson, you know, it's a lesson that you, you can't overcompensate, especially when it's not something you believe or that you mean, something that's not important to you. And I, I wouldn't even say it's something that I wholly disagree with. You, know, you can guess what the organization is, but it's, I wouldn't even say it's something that I, I it's, especially at the time, I didn't really have an opinion on what this organization is involved with and does. But it, but my heart certainly wasn't in it. I would not have donated money to them on my own. But, uh, you know, I don't remember why I went into that. I guess it's just the idea of... I don't know, somebody thinking that you might fall into a different camp than you do, or even wanting you to, because people are seeking conflict, they are wanting to put you in a certain box... And when you, I mean, on the show, I openly mock people who live their lives in this state of emotional distress, reacting to everything that Donald Trump, excuse me, Donald Trumpsfeld, everything that he says and does. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's, I think it's deserving of mockery. Because to me, it's almost like somebody who keeps getting the sun in their eyes and every time that the sun gets in their eyes, every time they see a glare from the sun, they say, oh my God, the sun's out. Can you believe it? Look at, look at, do you see the sun's out? It's, you just got in my eyes. And you just say, hey, stop looking at it. Yeah, we'll stop looking at it. You know, that's how I want to respond when people complain about Donald Trumpsfeld. Trumpsfeld, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, it's not my name that it's similar to. Uh, Eric Trumpsfeld. That's <laughs> but anyway, do you want to say, like, stop staring at it or get some sunglasses? And someone would hear me say that, and they're like, oh, so you think Donald Trump's the sun, huh? Oh, you think Donald Trump's the sun? You think he's that important? You think he's that... Oh, he... So all life depends on him, huh? See, so you're a Donald Trumpsfeld supporter because you think he's the sun. And it's like, no, you're the one who revolves around him. You're a planet. Your body and your mind are a planet... It's, that's your world, your body and mind, and you are revolving around this man to the point where you can't even remember life before him. That's something that gets me, is there's, there's a lot of people I know who... I would refer to them as, as having been, at least, at least before the last few months, as moderate Democrats. And they... Many of them are, are of the belief that all of this 
far left activism and this increasing hysteria is a response to his election. And as somebody who did predict that he would be elected, a large reason for his election was in response to the existing far left hysteria. He didn't have that much support to begin with. There weren't a lot of people who thought, when he announced that he was running for president, there weren't a lot of people who said, oh yeah, that's my guy. That's my guy. See him? He's my guy. A lot of people jumped into his camp in response to the extreme activist viewpoints that were already intensifying. And so people who think that those viewpoints intensified in response to him, they're living in a world where they were basically reborn in 2016 without perspective. You know, and if you look, you know, if, you, if you've been following this stuff, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. I don't, I don't think this is a matter of opinion. You know, and a lot of the support that he received was from people who were opposed to PC culture, which even seems to be a antiquated term now. You know, the term PC culture seems to be kind of antiquated. Political correctness seems to be kind of a, kind of a soft antiquated term for what's going on now and uh, so it's just strange to me though that people seem to have it's almost like they if, if, if you think of people as computers which i try not to do because as i said in a recent episode you know computers were created in man's image we aren't computers but we've tried to recreate our own system through computers but, you know, if you do think of us like computers, it's almost like a bunch of people restarted in 2016 or even 2017. A lot of people think that he... <laughs> there's a lot of people who think that he's he's been in office since 2016 because that's when he won the election. Where it's like, hey guys, he didn't even have... He wasn't even in office. He didn't even have power until the first part of 2017. But, you know, it's like in November 2016, a lot of people... I think they were so shocked. They they were they did not see the momentum going in his direction because they were listening to people they already agree with and they were listening to sources that you know refused to acknowledge that possibility. Whereas, you know, I wasn't. I was trying to get a varied take and that doesn't make me a better person. It's just you know, people at that time, you know, once again, you know, the I remember saying to people that I thought he was going to win, I remember saying to my girlfriend, and that to her sounded like I was manifesting it or that I was supporting him. And I don't even want to fall into a camp where I have to support or oppose him. I mean, I just, I just recognized that the momentum was there and that as absurd as it was, he was going to be a force to be reckoned with, in large part in response to the people who legitimized him by hysterically opposing him. And the fact that he was a response to that. Uh, my national dog here is going to the bathroom, so I'm going to pause this so I can be a good dog owner on National Dog Day and clean up after him. Yeah, I think your dog going to the bathroom is really the best possible segue into another topic. Because I, I, you know, the second I hit pause, I'm just like, why was I going on about that? You know, not that I disagree with what I said. Not that I, not that that's a new viewpoint of mine, but I, I just feel the need to say it right now. There seems to be some people, well, there seems to be some people flying a remote airplane over there. So we're going to go in the opposite direction. Uh, but uh, gotta love that sound of just this electric airplane, guys. Welcome to the world. Um, but yeah, I just feel the need to explain that because I mean, some people seem to have been reborn in late 2016 and they forget where all the momentum came from. And they've been revolving around this guy their entire world revolves around waking up, getting upset at something he said or did, not understanding why other people aren't upset, getting upset at the, at the people who aren't upset, or especially the people who 
agree with the guy and we wonder why mental health was deteriorating before a pandemic and quarantine before social isolation you know it's it's there's no mystery here there's no mystery but uh anyway you know i think as far as neighbors go it's like that doesn't even need to come up you know that kind of thing doesn't even need to come up because when you have a neighbor you have a shared goal just right off the bat. If you're a decent person, it's one, not to disturb each other. It's to be respectful, you know, to follow the basic rules of respect that we should all know. You know, yeah, if you're a teenager or you're, you know, college-aged and it's your first place by yourself where you can have your friends with no parents, you know, it's understandable that you want to party and that kind of stuff. But even then... That should be a lesson in how to respect your neighbor. Uh, but, uh, you know, you do have this shared goal with your neighbors where it's like, I want to live in a peaceful and safe place. So right off the bat, you have a vision. doesn't matter how you feel socially, politically, any of that. There are just basic standards of coexistence that any mature neighbor should be able to understand. And... That's an amazing foundation. You know, that's you have more in common with your neighbor than just about anybody, regardless of how you feel about issues that are going on elsewhere in the world. Um, yeah, and you know, and ish, things going on elsewhere in the world. You know, I was thinking the other day. You know, I have to remind myself sometimes that I'm a, I'm a millennial. You know, it's funny how that doesn't come up quite as much now that millennials aren't being criticized all the time maybe they are but there was that phase where i hadn't even heard the term until it was you know just all sorts of articles criticizing millennials and i didn't know that i was one i didn't know that i was anything i mean i knew i wasn't generation x but i didn't even know that i fell into the millennial category until all these articles came out some years back criticizing millennials and I, I think those articles were aimed at people a couple years younger than me which is why I didn't immediately identify with them but you know I wasn't afraid to be one you know initially I was like I'm one of those but then I just like oh yeah I guess I am I guess if I have to give myself some sort of generational name yeah, that's what I am and now that I'm no longer hearing it I want to identify with it even more I think from now on, I'm going to start calling myself the main millennial. Hey, I'm the main millennial. Maybe that's going to be the name of my new show. It's going to be the name of my my uh, newspaper outlet, as well as my new podcast, The Main Millennial. Now I just want to own it. Now I want to own my generation. But, you know, it was something I hadn't heard. But I was thinking recently about where some people are coming from. And there are people, you know, who are my age, I would say, you know, you know, the people who are in my generation as well as Generation X who grew up with, you know, kind of this who wants to be a millionaire, like Regis Philbin on the TV wearing a dark blue suit with like a metallic teal tie. And we grew up like with this you know, high degree of comfort in our lives. The economy was good. Video games were rapidly improving. You know, there was all kinds of media. You know, there's the first years of the internet. There are all these pizzerias popping up with metallic decor. There's something about that era, you know, the mid to late 90s, early 2000s, metallic decor, where like if a pizzeria opened up the next town over with metallic decor it was a real treat for you and your family to go there and it, it kind of plays into the who wants to be a millionaire thing too because like i said it's like regis philbin on tv with his metallic dark blue suit and the metallic set there was a lot of metallic sort of we're entering the new millennium that was the aesthetic and i feel like you know even though bill clinton didn't dress that way I feel like the Democratic Party of the mid to late 90s and just Bill Clinton's whole look played into that as well. I see all of that stuff as 
you know, this sort of, you know, millennial, this is going to sound really lame, but this sort of millennial idealism where it's like we're heading into the future. Everything's comfortable. We're heading into the future, but it's not uncertain. It was like this certain future we were heading into. And so we embrace these sort of dark metallic tones. And like I said, I, I don't know what it is, but there were a lot of these pizzerias popping up with metallic decor. I just like saying metallic decor. It's like restaurants wanted to look like the set of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. And uh, what's funny about it, though, is, you know, now we're back to the point where we're like, oh, no, you know, checkered tablecloth, hole-in-the-wall pizzeria is, that's where you get pizza. Where do you get good pizza around here? I would love somebody with that accent. I would love it if somebody with a New York accent asked you where to find good pizza. What do you, what do you think is the best slice here? You know, someone like that who doesn't have an opinion about where to get good pizza. Someone with a New York accent who doesn't just tell you within five seconds of meeting you, you don't even know what pizza is around here. You wouldn't know good pizza if it fell out of the sky and landed on your face and stayed stuck to your face for hours. You wouldn't even know it. You know, that, se that seems to be the, <laughs> the standard. It's kind of like someone with a southern accent who has no opinion on southern food. Someone with a southern accent who doesn't have an opinion on where to get the best grits. I don't even know where to get the best grits around here. You know, that's the world I want to live in. Where New Yorkers no longer have pizza preferences. And Southerners no longer have taste in Southern cuisine. That to me is how, that, that's how we know that we're in utopia. In different regional cuisine preferences. But anyway, back to my point before I was going on about that. You know, there was just this, this sort of comfort or safety in, you know, Democrat blue, Regis Philbin's dark blue suits, metallic decor on your TV and in your pizzeria. And I see where certain, you know, what I would call moderate Democrats are still kind of seeking that. They're still seeking that, even though it's long gone now. And I don't even think we've gotten to the point where people are specifically nostalgic about it. You know, I don't know that we've quite yet hit the nostalgia point for the early 2000s, for 1999 to like 2003. I don't know that we've quite made it there and things might be uh, so chaotic that we can't really focus on that. You know, because people did make it, you know, people did find themselves um, nostalgic for, you know, the mid 90s, you know, in the last few years. These things seem to have a, a, a 20, let's go buddy. These things seem to have sort of a 20-year uh, window where it, it takes about 20 years to reach peak nostalgia for a previous era. But I also have mentioned on this before how, come on, buddy, come on. Which way you want to go? This way? Uh, it takes about 20 years to you know, kind of reach that peak nostalgia for an era. And... Uh, but the internet has speeded that up because we were able to consume nostalgia at a much higher rate. You know, in the mid-90s, you know, my sister got into, like, kind of bell-bottoms. There was this bell-bottoms resurgence for a little while. And uh, so there was this sort of, like, if you were a teenager or in your early 20s, maybe in the, the mid to late 90s, there was this sort of 70s renaissance. It was pretty small. And, uh, you know, it just kind of went onward, onward from there, you know, when in the, the first decade of the 2000s, the whole 80s nostalgia was in full bloom. You know, movie covers uh, of 80s movies, people tried to recreate that. They tried to recreate those like a hot pink font over kind of a cheesy photo of people posing. I saw album covers where people were trying to recreate that production value in music, even though things had gone digital. You know, and I think, you know, digital production was just really getting rolling in the early, maybe by the mid-80s, mid I wouldn't even be able to tell you. I'm not a music production historian, but, uh, 
you know, there was that obvious boom in 80s aesthetics or attempts at it in the first decade of the 2000s. And then, of course, the 2010s, people were getting into the 90s again. It's like time needs enough distance for us to appreciate eras that we were completely sick of by the time they ended. Because that's usually how it works. You know, we're, we end up getting completely sick of the aesthetics in a given era, the way things look and sound, and then we want it back. You know, but it takes a while. It can take like 20 years. I think, I think the natural cycle might be about 20 years. But I do think the internet sort of messed that up. It oversaturated us in nostalgia where the natural, um, you know, the natural flow of it, the natural cycle was sped up just like everything was, just like all information was sped up. So who even knows if we'll enter into that again and then with the world the way it is, who knows how that'll all work. You know, I, I do have to see this as sort of a, hopefully a mini Ragnarok. I don't want this to be a, a full-on apocalypse. I don't want that. But as a mini Ragnarok, you know, I think new things need to grow. I think a lot of us who had invested a lot of ourselves into, you know, for lack of a better word, art and creativity, kind of hit a dead end. And even if we still liked what some people were doing, things just didn't have a fresh feeling. And more and more was seeming like role play and LARPing. And maybe it always would have felt that way. Maybe it's something that every generation goes through, although I don't think so. Because if you look back, I mean, there were new things happening constantly, really. But it does feel like we kind of hit a dead end as far as that goes. And it might take something to completely disrupt the process where we exhausted the last 50, 60 years of not just pop culture, but underground culture as well, where it's, it's something that, you know, you used to look at the underground and even if something was stripped down and basic and primitive, it was still attempting and often succeeding at something new. And that, in my opinion, stopped happening. Maybe not entirely, but it slowed to a degree that, you know, where it was just barely perceptible. And it became much more popular to go for some sort of retro look to try to dress like Hellhammer and sound like Hellhammer and uh, be a crossover thrash band. Like, you were born in, you know, 1989 and you're wearing like a, a flip, a cap with the, the bill flipped up and high top sneakers playing crossover thrash that 16 year olds perfected before you were born. And not that that's a reason not to be into something or do something, but you can just see where people started to do this role play where it's like, let me recreate this fashion and style of expression and music that you know, predates my birth, if not my, my just, you know, I, if you were alive when this stuff was happening, you probably weren't aware of it. Um, so we got to that point, I mean, and, and in all kinds of other ways, too. Like I already mentioned how when, you know, the 80s became popular again, how people were trying to recreate the aesthetics. They were trying to recreate this sort of, you know, Miami colors, not to be confused with Miami Cola. I understand that the words, uh, I think that's just the fact that I haven't had a Miami Cola for two or three weeks. I'm, I'm saying Miami colors, um, saying similar words, but it's, it's that sort of, you know, that sort of what I would call Miami colors where it's like this, uh, South beach sort of look, but gone through, you know, the new wave sort of art filter and people were trying to recreate that in the early 2000s, early mid-2000s, maybe. And so it plays out, you know, on all levels. You know, both in the mainstream and the underground. So we did sort of hit this wall. And even if some things were happening, even if some things were fresh, not enough was. I would say not enough was fresh. And of course, you know, getting older changes things for you too. 
you know, getting into your late 20s and early 30s, and now here I am in my mid-30s, you know, if you don't do things that you're supposed to do, and I don't mean supposed to as in, you know, social pressure, societal pressure, but I mean, if you're not starting a family by the time you're in your early 30s, I think it's easy to start critiquing the world around you or expecting, I think it's easy to start expecting the things that excited you when you were a kid to continue to excite you in the same way. Because you're starting to look at things that you may have rejected earlier. I mean, there's so many people who say, I'm never going to have kids. And I'm always amazed at the speed at which they suddenly have a family. They meet the right person or you know, they get pregnant, their girlfriend or wife gets pregnant, and next thing you know, they, they have a family unit. And they're the person who is telling you how they're never going to do that. And, you know, I'm not saying that to be like, oh, look at these hypocrites. Said they never were going to, they said they were never going to have kids, and now look at them. You know, I think it's awesome. Because like I said, that's what you're supposed to do. And all of the decent people I know who have done what I haven't done and might never do, which is start a family... I have so much enthusiasm for that. Not to the point where I'm like, can I come to your kid's birthday party? But just, you know, in, from my place, I just, because I know that that is healthier. I, I'm, and, and just on a practical level, I want the people I like and respect to be the people who keep the earth populated. And uh, so it's, I have enthusiasm for that. I have enthusiasm for people who are in my age range, my peers, my friends, I have enthusiasm for them having kids, and I have friends where I don't think it would be a good idea. I have good friends where I think, you know, it might not be a good idea if you had kids, but for the people who have kind of normalized or found a certain balance and now they have a family unit, I'm just, I'm excited for them because I think it will save them some grief, you know, and it's like you can either... It's like for me personally, I had to grow away from expecting excitement from the things that excited me when I was younger because they were making me more and more resentful. And I was already resentful about some of those things. I was already critical. Maybe I wasn't resentful, but I was already very critical of, let's say, art and music and some of the ways of thinking that go along with those activities, with those subcultures and you know, I hit a point where it wasn't even a choice, but it was just where my life led me, and I accepted it, I embraced it, but it's the the spiritual path I've been on, which I won't go into, because I go into it every episode. <laughs> but for me, that's sort of, that's the family for me at this point. I think that feeling that people get by doing what they're supposed to do, which is to say, starting a family. And I'm not going to get into some sort of, you know, evolution or, you know, biological explanation for like, oh, you know, uh, you know, we're on this planet just to, we're on this planet just to have sex and, and populate the earth and keep our gene pool going. As a spiritual person, I don't believe that. Not totally. I think that's part of the story. But I don't believe that, you know, starting a family and, and keeping your genetic memory part of the part of this whole system i don't think that that's i don't think that that's just a purely material function i think it serves a strong spiritual role which is exactly why i'm excited for people when they do that because unless they're total fuck-ups unless their problems are just a burden on everything they do like if they have addiction problems or, or some sort of disorder or maybe like, you know, whatever it is, you know, just unless there's some serious problem, I can just see where people having families, starting families, it's not just serving some sort of, you know, it's not just giving them some kind of material satisfaction, like, oh, I, I spread my genes. What do you think about that? I spread my genes. You know, it, it's not even just that. It's, it's, I see it giving them some sort of spiritual satisfaction and it's going to sound crazy, but I, re I relate to that on my own level with the path that I've embraced, even though it doesn't involve starting a family. Although it, maybe it will, you know, it's not one of my goals. 
But as I've said here lately, it's like, you know, I do have this vision of myself as a 45-year-old man, ripped, with all my hair gone on top, with a skullet probably, and a goatee, and a, 25, a beautiful 25-year-old girlfriend who's a, a Buddhist Republican. And I probably won't be dedicated enough for her. You know, I probably won't be right-wing enough for my Buddhist, my 25-year-old Buddhist Republican girlfriend in 2030. But that's okay, because I'll be wise. I'll, you know, all my hair will be gone on top, but I'll be ripped with a goatee, a trim goatee. Nothing long. No long goatees here. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, maybe that, maybe I will start a family at that point. When I'm 45 with a 25-year-old Buddhist Republican girlfriend, who, like I said, is even, you know, she's way more right-wing than me. I mean, she's a Republican. I'm not a Republican. You know, I just because I, I went on a rant about how I don't have any of this Trump hysteria, you know, doesn't mean that, uh, doesn't mean that I lean, lean that way too heavily, not too heavily, sometimes maybe, but it doesn't mean that I, I lean hard that way. But my 25-year-old Buddhist Republican girlfriend, who's, I guess, 15 right now, but I'm not going to have any contact with her until she's, you know, 24, because I don't groom, you know, I, I have no interest in young women. I have no interest in, interest in grooming women, uh, <laughs> if that needs to be said. But, uh, you know, maybe I'll start a family then. And that's the funny thing, I guess I should say, is, you know, just speaking of, you know, where you fall politically, this whole idea of, you know, left, right, center, and, you know, that being an independent or a moderate is some form of compromise or places you between these two poles or even on some kind of axis. You know, just that way of thinking to me. You know, I've mentioned it before, but I, I don't think I've said this, which is that, you know, you think about the world, you think about the Earth with its North Pole and South Pole. And to me, to say that if, if you don't fall... Okay, so I guess that you don't fall on the near the north or the south pole. Oh, so that means you're you know you're a centrist. You know when it comes to you know your location on the earth, if you're not on the north pole or the south pole, you must be a centrist. It implies that the whole three-dimensional earth. You know, it means that belonging somewhere on the whole three-dimensional earth that isn't on the north or south pole somehow makes you in the center. And, yeah, I guess if your perspective is that, you know, everything falls between the North and South Pole and you never look elsewhere and you, you see everything in relation to those two poles, yeah, maybe you do think that everything else is the center, but that's a pretty big three-dimensional center. And I wouldn't even limit it to the shape of the Earth. You know, you know that's just the, the closest example I can come up with, the best metaphor maybe analogy whatever whatever it is whatever one of those it is uh you know I, I would say it's then you think about outside the earth where there's this whole universe there's this whole even just if you think about you know space even if you even if you you know can't comprehend the whole universe and you're just going to limit it to space yeah he is yeah <laughs> i always like getting uh I always like getting words from strangers. A guy on a bike rode by and said, it looks like quite a killer you got there about Batty. You know, I live for that. I, I live for those kinds of comments with uh, quarantine and everything else going on. Just a stranger making a funny comment about my dog. Don't need to analyze it. Just wanted to clue the listeners in on what that interaction was all about. You know, because those people, like I said, you know, that stranger on a bike, that, that older man on a bike who said something to me about my dog? You know, he might be a stranger, but hey, the fact that we crossed paths during this lifetime, <laughs> here I said I wasn't going to analyze it, but we crossed paths in, in this lifetime and interacted even just once. That's phenomenal. You know, that's phenomenal. And, and you know, I guess, you know, it does sort of play into me talking about how 
when people develop these political ideologies and they start thinking purely in terms of the North and South Pole, not only do they ignore the entirety of the Earth or see everything else on the Earth as some sort of central territory, you know, as if that whole three-dimensional sphere with all of its places, all of its ideas, as if everything is defined by its relationship between the North and the South Pole, you know, that's one thing. But the fact that, you know, you can then go into space, and space is even a more limited way of thinking about the entire universe. And uh, when it comes to ideas, when it comes to, you know, just how you feel about what's going on in the world, or how you don't feel, the idea of limiting that to two poles, limiting that to the Earth, you know, I'm not an alien. You know, I didn't, I didn't come here on a meteor. I didn't ride a meteor to planet Earth like a mechanical bull, although I'd like to. I'd like to do it again and again. Um, you know, even though I'm a product of the Earth, I don't think that our ideas and our views have to be even limited to that. And they're not. Because even if you, even people who think purely in scientific terms, even people who have this you know, rigid approach where everything has to be filtered through the scientific method, even they're going as far out there as they possibly can, and that's beautiful. You know, I think it's beautiful that scientists look outward, even though I don't always see eye to eye with that way of thinking, I think it's beautiful that we have scientists who are constantly looking outward and trying to understand the farthest reaches of the universe. I might think it's kind of silly when they try to tell us, well, we've discovered that it's it's expanding. You know, or, or we've discovered how it all started. It started with the Big Bang. You know, as much as I think that's silly, I do respect that they are trying to go as far outward as possible. Meanwhile, you know, there's others among us who are trying to go as far inward as possible and find something similar. Find something similarly limitless, or find the limit, maybe. The goal is actually very similar. You know, in that way, I don't think meditating is that different from somebody who has a genuine interest in exploring space. But uh, when you define it all based on these polar extremes, that are actually very limited. I just, no good comes from it. You know, no good comes from it because, you know, there's someone on the South Pole who sees you step one step away from the South Pole and thinks, oh, so you're heading towards the North Pole, huh? What's wrong with the, you're not touching the pole anymore. I can't remember if there is an actual pole. I feel like, People put poles there. I mean, I know there's not a naturally occurring pole sticking out of the earth there. But uh, I, I think people have put actual poles there. And it's the sort of thing that's, you know, the way our political ideologies work, it's almost like you have to be touching the pole at all times. And the second that you're no longer touching the pole, someone says to you, oh, I noticed that you're no longer touching the South Pole. So what are you trying to do? Are you, are you going to walk to the North Pole and touch that? You seem like, uh, you seem like you're not supporting us because you're not touching the pole anymore. And it's like, I just want to explore the universe. There's a whole universe out there. There's a whole universe of thought and non-thought. Inward and outward. And it can lead me all sorts of places. And I'm just, I, I don't want to touch this pole. Touch the pole. That's how it feels. And I think that's how it is. And that's okay. I can accept that some people need that, that they want that. But where I draw the line is when they expect others to do the same. But uh, I think that's about all I got to say. It's been a nice little walk with Batty here. He got a... Hey, buddy, stay with me. Stay with me.
Stay over here. Good boy. It's been a good walk on National Dog Day with my boy. Covered all kinds of territory, multitasked. Had some thoughts. I wanted to do an episode. I got to talk about the metallic decor of late 90s pizzerias. And that's coming back. You know, even though we rejected that, some people did. Even though some people are, got sick of it, where it's like, you know, I'm sick of all these, these modern new pizzerias in the suburbs having metallic decor. And then, uh, you know, in turn, people are like, you know, I actually like these, these dark wood checkered tablecloth hole-in-the-wall pizzerias a little more. Now we're going to go back to the metallic decor. You know, I, people, they find comfort in that cycle, in aesthetics coming back. And they're never the same, of course. You know, you can never actually recreate things as they happened. But I do feel people are seeking that politically, too. And it's sort of what makes, you know, the modern Democrats conservative in their own way. Because I think they are seeking that Bill Clinton, who wants to be a millionaire, metallic pizzeria feeling. But it's no longer here. And the people who are, you know, influencing them the most are something entirely different. But, uh, you know, I, I think that is something that a lot of people don't understand about conservatism. Conservatism is that in many ways it's seeking comfort. And you'd only know that from talking to conservatives in good faith and well-meaning ones, too. Of course, there are many who are not well-meaning, and I would never suggest otherwise. But you'll find that if you actually know any, if you actually talk to them, they aren't these brutes who want to hurt people. They might want to defend themselves, but in many ways, they're seeking to preserve the comfort they have. And I don't think they're necessarily trying to take it away from other people. And is it all, you know, do they see the world exactly as it is? No. Who does? Children can